TKM Incorporated in Moss, Tennessee is a construction company that specializes in erosion control, seeding, and soil, hydro seeding, hydro mulch, minor excavation, and silt fence. They also provide traffic control and construction signs. Their business is keeping people safe, but their passion, their mission, is they wish that all men could be saved. TKM has adopted the nickname, The King's Men, because as they serve you, they also serve the King. If they could provide any of their services for you, please contact them at 931-243-3958. That is 931-243-3958. Or you can contact them on the net at tkminc2001 at twlakes.net. That is tkminc2001 at twlakes.net. TKM Incorporated is a sponsor of Keeping Up With Jones, the Lonnie Jones podcast adventure. SJL General Contractor specializes in asphalt demolition, concrete finishing, and heavy hauling. This family-owned business is licensed in Alabama and Tennessee. You can contact them for any of your construction needs, 931-433-4660. That is 931-433-4660 or three W's and a dot sjnl.com, www.sjnl.com. SJNL General Contractor is a sponsor of Keeping Up With Jones, the Lonnie Jones Podcast Adventure. In order to really enjoy a good science fiction movie, in order to really enjoy a good horror movie, you have to participate in what's known as the willing suspension of disbelief. You have to enter the theater or turn on the TV, and you got to put your mind in neutral and say, hey, I'm going to participate in this universe that is different than reality. I'm going to accept the fact that a kid can get bit by a radioactive spider and instead of die of some horrible blood disease, he's going to get superpowers. You have to walk in and say, I'm going to grant that the premise of this thing is true. You know, I'm not going to worry about some of the laws of physics when I've already decided that there's people from other planets and they fly on a spaceship that can go faster than the speed of light. You know, that's just like watching the Terminator movie and, and then deciding you want to figure out, you know, hey, shouldn't he be out of bullets by now? Well, you've got a cyborg robot from the future who traveled back in time to kill a guy to prevent this guy's own birth. And you're going to grant that he can travel through time, but you're going to worry about how many bullets he fired in his weapon. See, when you get into the, the willing suspension of disbelief, you go ahead and grant yourself that I'm going to take my disbelief and I'm going to put it on hold so I can enjoy the premise of the movie, so I can enjoy the fact that there are vampires and werewolves and hippolumps and woozles, and you don't have to worry about some of that stuff. That's what makes fantasy enjoyable. The, the opposite of that is rather than the willing suspension of disbelief, is that sometimes we participate in a willingness to believe. We buy into something that may not be authentic. We buy into a measure that might be misleading or, or superficial. Uh, I remember as a college student, I was really interested in psychic phenomenon. 
I was interested in things about ESP and telekinesis. And, you know, I was studying some psychology and was looking into the power of the mind and, and, and hypnosis and some different things. I did a lot of research papers on, on hypnosis, even as an undergrad. And, and I remember we had this guy come, come to the school and he was going to do like an entertainment thing. And he was a mentalist, a guy named Gil Eagles. And so you go in and you watch one of these guys and, in, and instead of trying to look at everything that he did and, and, and figure out how he did it, you just accept the fact that he can do some amazing things. Well, interestingly enough, I got pulled out of the audience. You know, they needed a volunteer to come up on stage and, and I got to be the guy to come up on stage. And this guy asked me to blindfold him. And so, you know, he, he took a silver dollar off the table and put a silver dollar over each eye and wrapped his head in gauze. And then he asked me to, to, to wrap those silver dollars one more time. And, of course, as I did, I searched his, his hair to see if he was wearing some kind of a mic that somebody could talk to him on the radio. Because I knew he couldn't see because I was taping him up pretty good. We put a hood over his head and, and, and wrapped it in duct tape. And so he's standing on this stage. He got a silver dollar over each eye. His, his eyes are wrapped in gauze. His gauze-covered eyes are covered with a hood. And then over the hood, he's got a duct tape. And then he asked me to go out into the audience and, and get a dollar bill from someone. And, and so I did. You know, I jumped off the stage and walked out into this crowd of several hundred people. And some kid opened up his wallet and gave me a dollar bill. I came back on stage. So the blindfolded guy tells me to take the dollar bill and fold it in half and then fold that in half and then fold that in half. And I come up with this little bitty square of a dollar bill. And he said, now give me the dollar bill. And I gave him the dollar bill. And he holds the dollar bill up to his blindfolded head. And he concentrates on it. And he hands me the dollar bill back. And he says, unfold the dollar bill. Now look at the serial number and concentrate on it. So I, I, I looked at the serial number and concentrated on it. And he read it back to me. He, he read the number on this dollar bill back to me. And, and you're standing here on stage and some of the conclusions you've made about can people really read other people's minds and are people clairvoyant and, and can they tap into the theta waves coming off the brain? And you're standing here on stage in front of a couple of hundred people and you go, that's amazing. And then you get back to your dorm room and you remember there's this trick called a French drop. And a French drop is basically how you can hold a quarter in your left hand and act like you pick it up in your right hand and you don't ever pick it up. It stays in your left hand. Well, I walked out into a room of people I didn't know and took a dollar from a guy I'd never met before and, and picked up a dollar bill I'd never seen before and folded it into a little square and gave it to this guy. And when the guy held it up to his head, he handed it back to me, and, and what he handed back to me was not the dollar bill I got out of the audience, but the dollar bill he already had in his hand. He probably did a French drop. He switched dollar bills on me, and he'd memorized the, the serial number off this dollar bill months before he ever came to Searcy, Arkansas. But because you're on stage and because you're in front of a crowd and because this guy's already done some cool stuff, you think, man, that dude read the serial number off that dollar bill, and he couldn't even see it. Well, it wasn't the willing suspension of disbelief. It was my willingness to believe what he had purported to be true, that he was gifted or he had this insight or he could do these things. I'm always amazed at the fake martial arts that are on the, on the internet. You watch these guys and they're doing these demonstrations with passive willing opponents and they demonstrate this great power. And in truth, you know, everybody looks impressive when nobody's resisting. And you watch these guys and they, and they break boards Anybody can break a board if they hit a board with the grain. 
you see a guy stack up a bunch of landscaping blocks and uh, they've got spaces between them and they got chops the first block and that block breaks. Well, once you break the first block, all the other blocks below it are going to break. But what happens in, in when you start deceiving people, when, when you start doing a demonstration that says, I want you to see how powerful I am. What you're, what you're telling them is look what happened when I hit that, that block. I wonder what would happen if I hit you. And in the early cultures when martial arts was developing and, and it changed from a true martial art, a, a thing about skill and leverage and balance, and, and became some kind of mystical something or another, what happened is when you saw those demonstrations, you were beat before the fight began. Because that guy broke a piece of wood, or, or that guy broke those blocks. Man, if that guy hit me, I'd fall apart. And, and you're beat before you ever fight because something that looks to be true in and of itself is not indeed true because those 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 martial arts demonstrations are really not about how powerful that person is. It's how powerful can I make you think I am. And therefore, you're unwilling to fight me. Therefore, you're beaten before we ever throw the first punch. It's a form of psychological manipulation. Now, I'm not saying there are not guys out there who, who don't have really, really strong hands. I'm not saying there's not guys out there who can condition their knuckles and make their shins stronger. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about these guys that are charlatans. I'm talking about these guys that are, that are circus tricks. And they do those things in order to convince you rather than objective measure to validate themselves. An, an example of this phenomenon was when I was in, in the ninth grade, the summer before I went into the ninth grade, I went on a mission trip with some guys from our church, and, and we went to the island of Tobago, and, and we stayed on the far end of the island of Tobago in a little bungalow. Uh, we rented it from a guy named Mr. Turpin. I don't remember why I remember his name, but I remember his name, and we were there. Our minister was Charles Box, and his brother Danny was with us, and it was Mr. Rice. And it was Elbert Lewis and uh, Jerry and Charles Pettis and Wolin, uh, Olin Womack and, and several guys. And then there was, you know, me and my brother and there was Drew Pettis and there was Neil Pettis. And, and we were the teenage boys there. And every day we would get up and walk to the top of the mountain, uh, walking through the village and inviting people to the lectureship series that we were doing. And then we were inviting people to have Bible studies with us. Well, you know, that only took about half a day. You come down the mountain and, and you eat your lunch and then we had some free time. And so we'd be out on the beach and, and the local boys would come and we were a novelty on the island. We were these white Americans on this island. And, and so we began to develop some friendships and, and as boys will do, boys will have contests. And we would, you know, you know, wrestle and we would run races and we, would, so we could do pull-ups and push-ups and things. I, I remember one of the boys from the island had made the boast that no American could best him. Well, little did he know that not only had we brought the gospel to the island of Tobago, we had brought the Las Vegas leg lock. Can I get a Ric Flair? Woo! <laughs> anyway, one of the things that we decided to do in our competitions with these young men was to arm wrestle. And I don't know if it was a thing that they did and wanted to see if we were good at it or if it was some American thing that we brought to the island. But we were going to arm wrestle these guys. Now, truth be told, these guys were probably superior to us in strength. I mean, these guys worked. You know, here we were, we we were, you know, uh, lower to middle class American boys. And, you know, we'd gone to school, you know, most of our lives. And, you know, we did a little bit of work, but we weren't really, 
you know, manual labors. I remember walking out one afternoon on the beach and these guys were standing in the surf and they were pulling in a fishing net. And, and one of the young men on this net looked at me and said, you come help. And, and, and so I got out into the surf with these guys and you grab this net and you just start backing up. And they had stuck a stick in the sand. And when you got to that stick, you let go of the net, ran back out into the surf and got in the front of the line and grabbed the net and pulled it again. It was unbelievable how heavy this thing was. Of course, you know, it, it, it had fish in it, but the fish were in the surf and we were pulling against the, the waves that were going back out into the sea. And, and maybe it was dragging on the bottom as, as it got shallower. But these guys pulled these nets in every day. So the chances of them being actually superior in strength to us it, it was probably, you know, a, a concern. Well, as it turned out, we got into this thing where we would arm wrestle with these guys. And, and interestingly enough, Danny Box, Danny was Charles Box's brother, and, and Danny was this raw bone, country strong guy, and, and he would horse play with us, and, and he would wrestle. You know, I remember Neil Pettis would get way out into the surf about chest deep, and Danny wasn't a strong swimmer, and Danny wasn't the most agile guy. And then Neil, who, if he turned sideways, stuck his tongue out, looked like a zipper, would, would taunt Danny Box. He'd, come on, Box! come on out here. And he, you know, had his fist up like he was going to fight with, with Danny, but Danny couldn't catch him in the surf. And Neil was very brave when Neil could get away. But Danny was, was, you know, kind of a champion with us and we'd horse play and, and, and wrestle with him. Well, it came time to, to do the arm wrestling thing. And I was a fairly competent arm wrestler. I've got little short stocky arms. And as long as your arm is not much longer than mine, I, I've got an advantage because if, 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 you put your elbow on the table and you extend your hand out so that's the level of my little short arm. I've actually got a mechanical advantage against you because you've given up some of your power base. Uh, if I get close to you and have to stretch my arm out to reach yours, then I've given up some of that. And so it's not really a good measure of strength, but it was what we were using to measure strength. We, we even had an arm wrestling machine. A guy at our church named Lamar Harbin had built this thing he called Herman. And Herman was this platform made out of wood. And in the middle of the wood, he'd anchored a uh, a hinge. And on that hinge, he'd put like a square tubular piece of steel. And he drilled through that steel at several increments. And then he had these handles on it. And you could, you could arm wrestle Herman right-handed or left-handed, depending on the side you set. And you sit down at this thing and you, and you grab the handle. Well, there was this spring coming from the other end of the wood and you could attach it. The lower you attached it, the easier Herman's resistance was. And of course, the higher you brought that spring up, you were fighting against the full tension of the spring. And, and I had borrowed Herman and kept him at my house and uh, could, could beat Herman on on the highest setting. And I was you know, real proud of my arm wrestling, but these guys from the Island of Tobago were, man, they were strong. They pull those fishing nets in every day. They cut wood to heat their houses. They grew up doing manual labor and, and the chances of us actually being able to best them in an arm wrestling thing w w was probably pretty small. But the thing that happened was that Danny Box sat down at the arm wrestling bench. Danny sat down and he lined these boys from the island up and would arm wrestle them. Now, the mistake you make when you're a teenage boy is you think that you're in shape and you think that you're fit and you don't understand about man strength. There's a difference between a kid who works out in a weight room and a guy who puts fence posts in and hauls hay. There, there's a difference in a kid who can do pull-ups and a guy who turns a wrench all day with his wrist. There's there's just a different kind of strength when you talk about man strength versus boy strength. So this man 
is sitting at this table and, and these young boys from the island of Tobago are going to arm wrestle him and, and Danny is is slamming them. I mean, it's not even it's not even close. There's not even any resistance. He's just slapping their hands against the table as quick as they can line up. So after Danny goes through the population there, these, you know, seven or eight guys that wanted to arm wrestle, instead of giving up his seat at the head of the table, he would arm wrestle with us. And two or three guys into the, and I remember one time it, it, it was me. We, we had a different group of guys and, and we sat down and when Danny and I locked arms, Danny began to strain and Danny began to let his arm vibrate and Danny let his face turn red and Danny began to breathe hard and then Danny let me beat him. Now, there's no way I could actually beat Box. There, there's no way I could beat Danny Box in, in, in an arm wrestling contest, especially not, you know, the summer before my ninth grade year. But Danny let me beat him. And then when I sat down at the table with these boys that Danny had already beaten, they were indeed already beat because Danny had beat them and they thought they saw me beat Danny. And because they saw me beat Danny, they were already beaten. Not the willing suspension of disbelief, but accepting a belief system, accepting this idea that, 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 that says you're powerful. And, and once you accept that, once you accept that premise that you see this demonstration, whether it's an authentic demonstration or whether it's an illusion, you see this demonstration and you go, you're powerful and by default I'm not. Or, or, or even a milder version of that is, I'm not as powerful as you. Because once you, once you have this criterion where you look at what somebody did against Danny, and you look at what you did against Danny and you do this comparison. It's not a me versus you, but it's what you did versus what I did. And once you accept what it says about me, then by default, you grant and you accept what it says about you. He is strong. I am not. He is strong. He is stronger than me. He's powerful. I have no power. He is more powerful than I am. And all of a sudden, instead of the willing suspension of disbelief, we have this phenomenon that takes place where I am willing to believe something about you, and therefore it makes me have to accept a position about me. I'm willing to believe something about me based on something that you demonstrated rather than something that I saw you do. And so all of a sudden we start having these comparisons and we start having these measures of power. And you can substitute power for worth. You can substitute that for, for value. You can do that for validity or success. And all of a sudden we make the mistake. We compare our insides, what we know about us, to another person's outside, only what we can see about them. And we use these superficial, non-objective demonstrations, and we use them to convince us rather than validate the other person. You see... Sometimes we, we measure things and it's on a relative scale rather than an absolute scale. 
it's a relative superficial scale rather than objective scale. And we start measuring our worth or our power or our value or our success. You know, let's just take, for instance, your marriage. If, if you're pleasing God and you're pleasing your spouse, your marriage doesn't have to look like my marriage to be valid. Your career doesn't have to look like my career if you're serving God and serving people. Your measure for success doesn't have to be about what I've got, but it's about what, what you've got, what you do with what you've got, what, what works for you. But so many times we, we use that standard of, of this is what I'm doing, this is what you're doing, and based on what you're doing, it says something about you. Therefore, by default, it says something about me. And I'm willing to believe that message about you, and by default, I'm willing to believe that, that message about me. You're powerful because you can, and I'm not powerful because I can't. That's a, a relative measure. It's not an objective measure. And so when we start thinking about how we're going, what we're going to believe about us, we got to make sure that what we believe about us is, is not tainted by something that's not really true about other people. Because see, when I start comparing my insides to your outsides, I'm comparing things I intimately know about me and only the superficial, only the perceived, only the seen of, of what I can tell about you. The standard by which we compare ourselves to others is a relative standard. The standard we use to compare ourselves to other people is, is not only relative, but it's superficial. And it's also misleading. You see, when you start measuring truth and you start measuring success and you start measuring power and you start measuring worth, you've got to use a standard that is truth rather than a standard that is an illusion. Using the tool of shortwave radio, World Christian Broadcasting literally covers the world every day with the gospel. They use two large curtain antennas. One is located in Anchor Point, Alaska, and the other in Madagascar. They send out messages that are recorded at their international home in Franklin, Tennessee. They make available 40 hours of broadcast every day. The broadcasts are made in English, Chinese, Russian, Spanish, Portuguese, Korean, English for Africa, and Arabic. They would love for your group to visit them. You can bring your ladies group, your youth group, or your men's group. Just give them a call at 615-371-8707, 615-371-8707. Or you can go to three W's and a dot, worldchristian.org, find the Donate Here button, and make a financial contribution to support this work that literally covers the world every day with the gospel. World Christian Broadcasting in cooperation with Keeping Up With Jones, the Lonnie Jones Podcast Adventure. Keeping Up With Jones, the Lonnie Jones Podcast Adventure is sponsored by us. What? We sponsor ourselves? Is that even legal? Check us out on Amazon. You can have access to the titles of 
Pedagogue, the youth ministry book by Lonnie Jones. Cognitive Spiritual Development, a Christ-centered approach to spiritual self-esteem. Grappling with Life, Controlling Your Inside Space, a small essay using the principles of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu to talk about psychological and emotional self-defense. If I Were a Mouse, a children's book written and illustrated by Lonnie Jones. And then The Selfish Real, a very short story about a decision. Also, you can check out our YouTube channel to see archived lessons and presentations from across the country, some videos with uh, rope tricks and knots. Don't forget to visit the uh, Facebook page, 550 Guys, to learn about the little rope men that we make and in, that we invented and that we make. And then be sure to click like, subscribe, and share. This is Keeping Up With Jones, the Lonnie Jones Podcast Adventure. Thank you.